Hi, I'm Will Jarvis. And I'm Will's dad. We both love and are fascinated by stories. Stories about people. Stories about places. And stories about events. Our stories give shape and form to life. They give texture, color, and rhythm to the blank canvas that every new day presents to us. And they do that by informing us of our past as a directional marker for our future. Okay, Will, it's narrative time. Tell me a story. Well, hey, folks, today on the podcast, we've got um, the wonderful Mr. Ed. What's that a reference to? So if you've ever seen the show wonderful mr ed the song goes a horse is a horse of course of course unless it's the wonderful mr ed so that's awesome so uh and uh it's a it's a pseudonym i assume a nom de plume i guess a nom de plume that's super cool and you uh you just started the blog warning letters is that correct yeah so it went live a couple of weeks ago very cool and what is warning letters so a warning letter is something the FDA sends out when they find something wrong with the drug manufacturing process. So the FDA will go and audit manufacturing facilities, and then at the conclusion of the audit, they'll write up everything they found that was not right, and they'll send that to the manufacturer, and they'll publish it on the Internet. So you can read basically anything that ev- the FDA has ever found for drug manufacturing as long as you can understand it. So that's sort of what I want to do is help interpret what these – findings really mean so that consumers can sort of know what's going on gotcha so fda and have you ever heard that you know insiders call it fda right not the fda not the fda it's fda okay. it's like cdc fda mm-hmm. you know fda does da, da, da. anyway no definite article before mm-hmm. no people responsible for <laughs> that's right that's right um so so the process goes something like does someone have a um do they do this on a predetermined schedule or does someone like ring an alarm bell and the FDA comes? So it's both. They have an audit schedule and they'll come. So I do clinical manufacturing. So they'll come every time we start trying to bring a product to market. And they'll also come and edit and audit manufacturing facilities on like a five-year basis. And that's how you get approved to market drugs in the U.S. And then if someone has a problem with the product, they'll tell the FDA and the FDA will sort of look back and see every product that the consumer has taken to have that problem. And they'll start trying to gather statistics and find out which problem, which product they're having a problem with. And then they'll go back and audit that manufacturer. So is it random? Um, or is it on a set Like, do you know the audit's coming or? Yeah. You normally have like three months lead time because you know that five years ago you got audited and they're coming back in five years. So they'll set up a time for them to come. Okay, so they don't just do it randomly, which I think would be actually superior. Yeah, it's not completely random. But it's it's somewhat random then. It's somewhat, yeah. Interesting. Because it seems like optimal would be that um, uh, you just go in, like uh, you roll the dice, and then you go check this on this manufacturer sometime within a five-year period. and you know. Yeah, but manufacturers get really upset <laughs> when you do that. I'm sure. For obvious reasons. Yeah. And there were a bunch of lawsuits because people were saying, oh, we're being discriminated against. We came up twice. And this company over there never came up. So That's super annoying because you, you could just use a random number generator. Yeah, exactly. And actually just, just pull numbers out of the hat. And the reason why I think uh, having it be random is important is because you can't game it at all. Because mm-hmm. if you know they're coming within the next three months, you just beef up. You know, you quit You know, putting sawdust in your vials or whatever that's what you would expect but the fda will come in there and people will just do the worst shit in front of them really <laughs> like they'll just stick their hands and just tear all things and the fda auditor is standing right there and they write that down the warning letters i'm like how does that happen i've gone through fda audits and nobody works while the fda auditor is there because you don't want to be the person they see doing something that costs the company millions of dollars right so yeah, and so people are like performing, I assume, unless they want to sabotage the company, which I don't think that happens. Uh, and and then that's the result. So it seems like you know you're you're selecting the res- results that are not optimal. Like so they're not that well. They don't paint a clear picture of what actually is going on in the manufacturing facilities, which is horrifying because we're going to get into some of the things that actually goes on when they're caught in these audits that uh that uh don't um yeah don't turn out so well. So mm-hmm. so what um. So what happens if the FDA shows up, they knock on the door and say, hey, we want to check this facility out, uh, and you say no? 
So the FDA, well, well, that's fine. And they leave. And the next that day, they come back with the U.S. Marshals and they open the doors. They bring guns and they Yeah, they come the next there. day. I had a friend who worked in the supplement industry on sort of the sketchier side. And he would tell me stories about he would like drive to the plant he worked at. And the FDA would be there pulling boxes of documents out into the parking lot. And he just kept on driving. And he oh just God. didn't go back to work because he didn't want to get caught up in that. That's amazing. Yeah, I, I know the supplement industry is a bit of... Uh, the wild west so what's the difference between a supplement and kind of a food or drug product to the fda okay so a supplement is kind of treated like food because for a supplement you don't have to get approval to market that in the u.s you don't have to prove that it does anything gotcha. so it's called a new drug or supplement so if you have a new supplement you want to bring into the market you have to run like efficiency and safety tests but if you just have something that's always been marketed, like if you have fish oil and you can claim that it's always been marketed, then you don't have to get it approved by the FDA. You just have to get, you just have to prove that it is what you say it is and that it's pure. So it's 98% fish oil and it doesn't have dog oil in it, basically. Okay. So a lot of people will try to game the system by saying it's a supplement and then they'll claim that it solves, cures health conditions and that's a drug. And a drug has to have clinical trials behind it to prove its safety and efficacy. So you have to prove that it that it works and it's also safe. Exactly. So um, I, I just want to, so we've got a lot of listeners that are uh, in the fitness community. Mm -hmm. uh, so that I think this is important to think about, important to understand before you take supplements. So they do have, so the ingredients have to match the label. Is that correct? Yeah, right, it has to be exactly what it says on the label, but it doesn't have to work. Basically. So it doesn't have to work. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I, that's even, so that's better than I, than I thought. Mm -hmm. I th I didn't, they could just do anything. I, I assumed it was kind of the wild west. Cause I, I know someone that, uh, has run a supplement company and I was like, man, this is like, uh, pretty worrisome. I well, they say. don't get audited that often and you can't really go to jail very easily for it. The FDA doesn't have a lot of resources compared to the size of the supplement industry. Gotcha. So, oh, so they, they don't get audited like uh, drug manufacturers do. Yeah, because there's not as much risk associated with supplements, basically. Gotcha. So it's illegal, but you should... Because I, I know um, Consumer Reports did a big study about protein powders mm -hmm. and like heavy metal concentrations, which I think may actually have to do with like, uh, you know, it, it's a whey protein's a byproduct of cheese production. Mm -hmm. Um, and cow, cow's milk has levels of heavy metals associated with, you know, they eat grass and the soil. Um, and so I think it's like concentrated. You think of it, think of it kind of like concentrated milk. Mm -hmm. It's going to have higher he heavy metal concentrations. Yeah. But also there could be things people are putting in there, you know, that not super great. So the problem with that is you test for protein concentration and you're going to do that. Most people do that by high pressure, um, low chromatography hplc i forget what the Would acronym stands for so high. much um it's hplc it's high pressure low something chromatography gotcha so basically that test for proteins and sort of a bunch it has a detector that detects visible light and proteins absorb visible light at like a280 if you're a chemistry major what's a280 um, it's the absorbance at 280. So proteins absorb light at 280. So if you have a detector, it can detect that. But metals don't absorb light in that frequency. So if you're uh, looking exclusively at that frequency, you're not going to catch the heavy metals. So you have to do a separate test for heavy, heavy metals, but you have to do it for each one that you're looking for. So like ed, um, lead, iron, aluminum. And that's really expensive mercury. the higher you go. Yeah, so sketchy supplement companies sometimes don't do that. Gotcha. So... There, what I'm hearing is there is reason to be skeptical and you need to be careful about supplement intake. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. That, that's super interesting. It, it seems so. So supplements are regulated differently than food products as well. Is that correct? Um, exactly. Food products, I think, have higher minimum allowances for bad things that can be in it, like the famous cockroach particles um, minimum that can be in food products. You can't have any cockroaches in supplements. Interesting. So actually a little bit tighter than food. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's wild. That's super interesting. Okay. Yeah. And, and the cockroach minimum is that that's that you by volume, you can have a certain percentage of, you know, cockroach body matter. Yeah. Cause it gets in there because if you're harvesting a plant, sometimes yeah, there's bugs happen. on plants. You can't happen. be 100%, yeah. but with a supplement, you can be a hundred percent. No cockroaches. Not allowed. Not allowed. <laughs> that's that's oh, yeah. Cool. And then a uh, quick sidebar in supplements, pretty much the only thing that will give you energy is caffeine and creatine, which is sort of like caffeine. So 
any supplement that claims to give you energy, the main ingredient is probably caffeine. So you need to like not stack those because not too much caffeine can give you heart attacks, you know? So, uh, well, although, you know, I know there's a couple of pre-workouts that were, have been famous and this could be like bodybuilding fitness lore, right. Mm-hmm. For having, um, uh, ephedrine or like, uh, you know, amphetamine uh you know yeah that's just meth so so like yeah exactly so it's caffeine meth or creatine so stick with the caffeine guys exactly Exactly. yeah super interesting okay um so that's supplements getting back to warning letters Mm -hmm. so the fda goes in um they check out the manufacturing process and um what do they tend to find so a big thing is data integrity errors so when you're testing drugs and you get a failing result, yeah. then you have to either say why you got to explain why you got a failing result and it's not the sample's fault, or you say the sample is bad and this entire batch, which is worth $500,000, has to be discarded. Gotcha. So a lot of people are trying really hard to get passing results. And so a lot of companies will have practices that will sort of put your finger on the scale to make sure it passes. So that's mostly what they find. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So like p-hacking or whatever they have to do to exactly make, make it make it clear the bar. So yeah. throw the stuff out. Interesting. Um, so the FDA. Uh, so so from your perspective, and this may be a bit tangential, but mm-hmm. you know how effective is the FDA at its job? Um, you know, I remember in college there was a great talk by I think like Jessica Flanagan at the University of Richmond that I attended, and she's like, you know, look like the FDA like. Sure, there's, uh, you know, maybe it does some good, but there's all these, like, costs associated with it. So, traditionally, we think about costs in the FDA. We think about drug development. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it costs, like, billions and billions of dollars to get a drug approved because you, don't, you have to approve efficacy as well as safety. And you have to prove it does better than any other product on the market. You can't just have the same level of efficiency. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah that, that seems to be, like, a big, big issue. So... Is that is that a, a net positive and a net negative? What do you think about that? Well, the FDA um, controls drug approvals, which is what you're talking about, and it also controls drug manufacturing. So I gotcha. can't talk so much to the drug approvals because that's a lot more of a tail end effects that you have to take into consideration whether or not you should approve drugs more easily or have more information so you can make a better judgment call. Gotcha. But with drug manufacturing, I can tell you whatever they can catch, they absolutely make you fix. And it's very efficient. They control really well to make sure that you have the correct permits to be able to market things. Gotcha. So if so, even though they can't audit all the manufacturing plants all the time, it's pretty efficient. So they actually do a good job in ensuring that the supply is safe and people are doing what they say they're doing. Exactly. And that's a pretty big issue because drugs can be very dangerous if they're not manufactured correctly. Gotcha. So um, do you want to talk about a case study? Okay, yeah. So my favorite case study is this company in India called Mylan. Normally in like... Mylan? Mylan, yeah. Normally in like data integrity talks, they censor the company names because... You don't want to be. Yeah, yeah. that could be like your next client. You're talking shit about them, but I'll just tell you who it is because I'm anonymous on this. So Mylan, um, so they were running chromatography on their samples that they were testing so that they could prove that they were what they say they are. Yeah. And so first you have to run a system suitability. So that's a sample that you know what it is. So you can test your machine and make sure your machine is working properly. So you run a system suitability and then you run your sample and then you test system suitability again. And to say that the machine is working properly, system suitability has to work both times um, at the beginning and the end. And if it doesn't work, you can't say anything about the sample because you don't know what your machine is doing. Gotcha. You got to calibrate the machine, essentially. Yeah, exactly. So they would run the first set of system suitabilities, and then they would run a sample um, on the $500,000 batch. And if the sample failed, they would pull the plug on the machine. So the second system suitability did not run. And they would say, oh, we just can't say anything about the sample that we run, even though it looks like it's failing because we don't have the second system suitability. So it's not a calibrated machine, essentially. Oh, God. (laughs) Right? So they would just test into compliance, which means you just test and test and test until you get a passing result, and that's the one Uh. you take. So with statistics, I'm sure any statistician is just cringing in their seats right now because that's really bad. 
So the FDA come along and they're looking through their data and they're like, huh, you have a lot of these out of spec results that you didn't investigate and find if they were actually the true result because the system suitability failed. Why is that? And they asked one of the analysts that does the testing and they go like, yeah, um, management just tells us to pull the plug on the machine oh whenever we have failing results. <laughs> I'm sure that guy got fired, but good for him, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> like, just taking out back and shot like a dog. But, exactly. You know? <laughs> but, so, so th- but you can't do that, but that's... Are, are there any protections for whistleblowers? In uh, there are, yeah, but it's in India, and yeah. they're mostly, like, legal protections. Like, you can't get fired, in quotes, for that, but they can like push you out essentially if gotcha, they cover yeah, their foot right, right. legally and like nothing's gonna stop somebody who lost their entire livelihood from coming after you really not that you shouldn't right. report anything you catch but like it is a little bit dangerous that does sound like a real problem though that mm-hmm. you know if, if people cannot um what's the word if people have trouble uh, so, so like if, if you see something and it's going to harm your livelihood for the rest of your life, mm-hmm. it seems like a real problem that, uh, it, there, there need to be like real protections in place. Yeah. Like, like, you know, what do you do like to protect whistleblowers? Cause right. Cause like it can be a black mark on you, like for the industry. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm pretty sure somewhere it's redacted, like who said that, but yeah. in the FDA records, that guy is named. Right. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, exactly. So, like, they, someone could find out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's also interesting to me that um, so you mentioned like running the test over and over until mm-hmm. you get the result you want. Um, so I had a great professor in undergrad that um, he was a professor. He focused on the European Union, and one of the big things he talked about was the democratic deficit in the EU, and the way that they would get things passed is like, well, okay, you've got this. You know what a referendum is. Yeah, everyone votes on something. So, like, everyone votes on this particular issue. So, we're going to tax um, for French squash for mm-hmm. X amount. And, like, these bureaucrats are like, yes, this is the best thing. This is going to really improve our lives. We're going to tax French squash. Um, and so, what they would do is you just um, – the, the bureaucrats have the power to essentially run the referendum as many times as they want. So, you just keep running it. Mm-hmm. So and eventually it passes. And eventually yeah. it will pass. Like, because you, can, you can't like vote in absentia, I guess. Yeah. So eventually the people who don't want it aren't there, so they don't vote now. Yeah, eventually yeah. like you can get things through. So it's like really this interesting problem. It just seems like an interesting analog, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's the P-test in real life. Exactly. It's P-hacking <laughs> in real life. There we go. Yeah, so I, I, I thought that was interesting. Okay, so um, we, we were talking about my land in, in India and and running these drugs so th- that seems like a big problem because that's just the ones that have been caught correct yeah exactly it also really shows like the culture of your quality control lab has a huge effect on sort of how samples get tested and what gets through to the market so it's super important to have really good bosses that'll really stand up and do the right thing because the analyst who's running the test doesn't have as much experience like i run tests for release and i have like two years of experience so if i had never started at a good company i would not know all of these requirements for like making good data that has data integrity well and also it seems like again it's like the uh the political economy of how do you create like an you know this quality control department that's actually independent enough to you know, like, whoa, 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 we can't do that. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Because, which is very, it seems very difficult. Yes. It seems like a very difficult problem. So under good manufacturing requirements, you actually have to have a different department from your testing department that tests for quality control. And they're like, they're called quality control and the testing lab is called like testing or whatever. And they're an entirely separate department that answers to an entirely separate boss. And they look through all of your paperwork before anything gets released and they have to sign off on it. So it's sort of a check that this department is not becoming nepotistic or under the control of someone who's not doing what they should be doing. That's interesting, but it's still, it's still like internal. Yeah. It's still within the the company. Yeah. Which seems to be like an incentive problem, right? Like exactly. Um, and it also seems like, you know, regulations like these may be good for current, like to keep current players in line, but they seem to be like great buffers from new entrants. Yeah, that's a good point. It can cost millions and millions of dollars to set up a lab that can test to these, to the good manufacturing practices. And it also costs even more money to set up production lines and sort of making the drugs to these um, qual- um, good manufacturing practices. 
Interesting. Yeah, it's like the bootleggers and Baptist problem. Like mm-hmm. where Mark Zuckerberg and uh, it's like, yes, you know, like it, it would be great for us to regulate social media uh, more mm-hmm. because if we regulate social media more, you know, I can comply with everything. But the small I can businesses pay to can't. comply because I've got this flywheel that throws off $100 billion in cash a year. And I can, you know, I can, but, you know, if I'm the new social media entrant, we start the next, you know, Facebook. We can't afford to meet the um, requirements that set forth by the agency. But that that's a different second order effect from these, uh, uh, you know, setting up regulations like this. Yeah. But I would say drug manufacturing, it's way more important to get right than like social media. That's true. That does seem to have much, <laughs> yeah. much bigger effect to make sure the drugs are safe. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, so... We talked a little bit about this case study. Uh, What are some things people should look out for in their drugs? So basically, you're the last line of quality control before something goes into your body. So like, just look at your drugs before you take them. So if you're taking Advil, just look at the drugs and are like, are they all the same color? Are they all the same shape? Do they have giant cracks in your gel capsules? And also what's really important that you can really do really effectively is if you have a vial and it's a clear liquid, just look at it and see if there's anything floating in there's it. Anything yeah, in that's a it. test I actually run. Just look at the vial and if there's something in it, you can't take it. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, just call the manufacturer, call whoever, just complain and complain and complain if you ever find anything that's not right with your drugs. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And never take expired drugs ever. We work really hard to find the exact date we can market it to. And after that, there's a reason it's not good anymore. Oh, really? So that is like the yeah. absolute last. Yeah, there's a <laughs> lot of money in this. Because the longer you can sell it, the more you get, more you're sure you can't get stuck with unsold product. Gotcha. Right? So the stability study is like to the absolute last day you can possibly take it. So it's not, yeah. There's, so there's not like a, uh, people often think there's a margin of safety put in by the engineers not really a margin no of but it's not like chinese food like oh this is, looks kind of off but i'll take eat it anyway like you can't tell if your advil has gone bad gotcha yeah. oh that's super interesting um very cool are there any anything else about the fda you think it would be good for people to know excuse me fda that you would like people mm-hmm. to know? um so it's not really immune to political pressure. So you need to make sure when you're voting, like some of the FDA positions are elected. So if you ever get someone like senators, I think appoint the head of the FDA. So you need to look at your senators and see if they're going to promote people to that position who are subject to like market pressures. Cause you really don't want your FDA thinking head of the FDA thinking in the back of his mind, Oh, am I going to get fired if I regulate this industry? And for instance, the supplement industry has pumped billions of dollars lobbying the government to keep supplements from having to meet these qualifications for um, safety and efficacy. So gotcha. that's how sometimes bad things happen with supplements. Gotcha. Safety seems okay. Efficacy, I'm less, yeah, less exactly. worried about. Um, I like, I'm a libertarian, but the more I read these warning letters, I'm more like, let the oh FDA regulate fish oil. Like, I don't even care anymore. Everybody's right. doing clinical trials. These, yeah, exactly. Everyone has to do it. That's super yeah. interesting. Um, yeah, we were talking to Russ Green last week and, and Russ was the former head of research for CrossFit Mm -hmm. and he did a lot of work, um, with the primarily CDC, NIH, um, NSCA, um, things like that, uh, organizations like that. And, And the big takeaway he had was that you wouldn't believe how little control Congress has over these unelected bureaucracies at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he would say things like, well, the bureaucracies, and I, I don't want to butcher what he said, but, you know, the Congress would say, you need to go fix this, and they just wouldn't do it. Because <laughs> there <laughs> weren't any controls to sort of force them to comply. There's no really, they're like, you know, sitting, they'd be like, you have to do this. And I'm like, okay, sure, whatever. And they just, you know, and there's all different ways you could, you could not do something, right? You can just <laughs> slow roll it bureaucratically. You can just, but long story short, they did not. Just keep needing meetings to determine what the problem is, you exactly, know? Exactly, exactly. And, and even even other scary things, I'm not sure if this is true for the FDA. You know, CDC has been in the spotlight recently because of the whole bumbling coronavirus response. Mm-hmm. You know, the C- Centers for Disease Control only spends about 10% of its budget on infectious diseases, which is a little odd for the Centers of Disease Control. Exactly. Uh, so, you know, this cra- CDC and uh, NIH, they have these private foundations, which they can just use the money for whatever. 
So, you know, companies like Coca-Cola pumping money into like the CDC foundation, <laughs> things like that. Oh, so they'll say that sugar is actually good for you. I feel like they yes. write, the CDC writes those recommendations for diets. Yeah, things yeah. like that. It's like, it's like oh, CD, the, the big thing they did, one of the big things they did was like, well, it's really about energy balance. So it's like calories in and calories out and like sugar doesn't matter. You know, forget about insulin response. That's not a thing. The CrossFit will, community will tell you that is not true. But what do they know? Yeah. What do, what do they know? They're, yeah. just, they're, just, they're, they're just, just all super fit. So, these, you know. These crazy people in these garages doing this stupid stuff. Yelling uh, while they lift weights. Yeah, it's terrible. Exactly. <laughs> they're, they, you know, they keep saying, you know, why is the the diabetes rate, you know, why is there a six-fold increase since 1970 or whatever? It's like. We don't know. Well, Coca-Cola will not let Definitely us say. Us. So. Exactly. And if you want to think about something really scary, if you look at Coke's advertising, I'm getting on tangent here. Mm-hmm. Um, this is one of my favorite tangents to go on. Uh, if you look at their advertising budget spend, so white people essentially have stopped drinking regular Coca-Cola for a lot of the reasons, you know, and they haven't stopped completely, but, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're buying less. So they uh, pushed all their marketing towards uh, black and brown people. In the United States. I heard they were also trying to get into the African market, and now everybody in Africa drinks Coca-Cola, which is full sugar. Yeah, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. and it's really bad. It, it, people, vulnerable populations are getting kind of attacked, and and that's, um, it's really scary when you think about it. A lot of weird incentives. Like you said, you know, I'm fairly libertarian in my leanings, but then you, you get into some of these problems, and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, man. This is like- oh, you know, the FDA is responsible for labeling food, so that's why Coca-Cola has to tell you how many grams of sugar and calories are in your Coca-Cola can. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Very interesting. People were very upset about it in the beginning, but I think that's probably the right way to go about it. Yeah, I definitely think... So I'm against... I'm a libertarian, so I'm against... Fairly, I'll say I'm fairly libertarian. Maybe not capital L, like you know, lowercase l, libertarian. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to think... Um, just sugar, enough to ruin Thanksgiving. Exactly. Just <laughs> enough to ruin Thanksgiving. You know, sugar taxes and soda taxes, I think, are probably the wrong way to... Like limiting the size of soda cups that you can sell, I think is ridiculous. Yeah, I think that's kind of stupid and like paternalistic Mm -hmm. and I don't really like it. But I do, I'm 100% for labeling. Exactly. I I think uh, that is, you know, having perfect information is important. You know, I think they should put a little skull and crossbones and be like, you know, the diabetes. (laughs) Like on the um, cigarette packs. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I am 100% for that. I don't know. It's interesting. Okay, so let's see what else we've got to cover today. So we talked about quality control. So how did you ha- first have the idea for this blog? So I, I work in the industry. I have a lot of meetings. And at least half of those meetings are, they bring you into an auditorium and they sit you down and they'll read over the warning letters that the FDA sent out to other companies so they can learn sort of what's going on, what the FDA is really auditing for this year and sort of how not to get caught on it. Because if you get a warning letter, your stock price just nosedives for a little bit until they send another letter saying, yeah, you've mostly fixed it. So, so it was just really interesting. It. Yeah. It was just really interesting what other people were doing. I thought, you know, I bet everyone would be pretty interested in hearing about this. That's, yeah, it, it's super, super crazy. Mm-hmm. Although, again, you know, it goes back to, you know, it sounds like people, you know, th- they try to match the test right they try to mm-hmm. they they just study for the test so you know they see the fda is looking just at cardboard and vials and so they like really may try and make sure they don't have cardboard and vials mm-hmm. going forward yeah but that is to a certain extent what happens but sometimes you get side benefits from it like the fda has really been pushing data integrity like we talked about for years so people have started getting like audit trails that will automatically capture what happens and when it happens so people can just delete data for failing results so i think that does significantly impact the actual quality of the products that consumers get that's that's very interesting that's very interesting are there any other case studies you'd like to talk about so Another data integrity issue. So up in China, they made baby formula, and they would run the baby formula samples on the chromatogram, and they would try to hit a certain protein percentage because because it's China, and the higher the protein percentage in the baby formula, the better it looks. So they added a substance that was not baby formula, but it um, increased the specific weight. So, and then when they ran it over the chromatogram, a readout on a chromatogram is sort of a line, and then it's got peaks um, next to the 
And if you have a peak, that's something, right? Gotcha. And you sort of determine where on the peak your result is, your sample that you're testing for is going to come out. And you look at it and you say, okay, that looks like the reference standard, which we know has that peak and we know is the substance we're looking for. So they also had this heavy metal peak. And what they did is they went back and they whited out the heavy metal oh, God. peak, right? So it did not look like they had that heavy metal in it. And babies developed kidney stones and I think three or four of them just died from that. So like four people got executed in China for oh, that. Jesus. Yeah. Well, the FDA can't do that here. I yeah. Guess. <laughs> so the FDA, not as bad as the Chinese FDA. Ooh, that is like, that, you know, that's kind of the right response though, right? You, you got to do something. Nobody else puts heavy metals in their baby formula yeah, anymore. I, I can bet tell nobody, you that. Yeah. Everybody is very concerned. Yeah. It sends mm-hmm. the right message. I mean, you, you know, you start killing kids. That's You got to do something. That's bad stuff. Mm-hmm. That actually reminds me of the Volkswagen. Do you remember the Volkswagen emissions scandal? Oh yeah. They were making it so that they could turn the emissions on or off. That's right. Yeah. So, so you know, this this is a very similar case. It's mm-hmm. very similar. It's quality control. You know, same kind of thing. Trying to comply with existing regulations. To, yeah, more like yeah, more trying to comply with um, existing regulations. So they had TDI diesels, mm-hmm. clean diesels. Um, you may remember them. Really good. You know, you can get like 45, 50 miles to the gallon on the highway with these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, really this big. was back in like the 2000s, so that was even better. Yeah, it was even yeah. better. And this was really big in, in Europe, especially because, you know, Europe gets most of its gasoline from the North Sea, the Norwegians. That's why the Norwegians, I don't know if you kn- knew this, but um, Mr. Ed, but Norway has the largest, like one of the second largest or the largest, maybe the largest, so- I think it's the largest sovereign wealth fund. Oh really? So like the Saudi Arabia of Europe? Yeah, so it's basically. like a trillion dollars mm-hmm. or something. It's like, and it's a big thing. Like, you so know, they can just do welfare whenever they want because they're rich. Yes. Right? So like, I and I think pretty much so that's why they have a welfare state. Exactly. They have like a couple hundred thousand dollars for each person, mm-hmm. and and that's why also why I tend to think you know when politicians in the U.S. compare us to these Nordic countries, well, you know, there's like, you know, we don't have this massive. Sovereign wealth fund to pay things out. Anyway, right. you know, it's and not neither a will they when we stop using oil. You know, e- exactly, so good exactly. luck with that. Exactly. Um, but they've actually electrified most of their vehicles now. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have this massive sovereign wealth fund owns two percent of all publicly traded equities in the world. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. It's, I'm moving to Norway. <laughs> going to Norway. Yeah. yeah. And so it's hilarious because they just did this index approach and they just bought everything. You know. It's, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, most of the cars are Teslas over there now for that reason, the craziness. But that, that's where they get the oil, oil from in, the, in, the, in, in Europe. And so oil prices are very high because it's in the North, uh, North Sea. North Sea? Yeah. And it's, like, you know, very rough to pull out of the water. It's not like in Venezuela where you can, like, stick a shovel on the ground and, it like, spurts out. Yeah. Um, so it's quite difficult. Oil prices are high. So gas prices are high. If you've ever been to Europe, it's by the liter, and it's, it's pricey. Mm-hmm. So diesel became commonplace because um, it's a lot cheaper and much more fuel efficient um, and easier to kind of get around. So they, they started marketing clean diesels. But what the what Volkswagen did, the Volkswagen engineers, is they started throwing the emissions tests because they couldn't get them, them clean enough. Oh, yeah, to meet the regulatory standards. So, you know, I can't remember exactly what they did, but I think like they cut horsepower or something in half um, to make it. And... Um, you know, they had a couple engineers on this. And there's an executive that, that made this happen. Like, you know, we have to get this through because European regulations are quite stringent. Mm-hmm. You know, Greta Thunberg, the sur- super into the climate change um, and, and trying to alleviate that and environmental issues. So they did that. Um, and, and, you know, there was some engineer that was just working under the direction of higher management to make this happen. You know, he was just like kind of cog in the machine. And I, this is an important story, I think. Because, you know, eventually he flew to America and, you know, they picked him up mm-hmm. on the tarmac, you know, he, like <laughs> yeah. got off the plane. And you know, this guy is just like a cog in the machine. But mm-hmm. I think this is an important thing for everyone to think about is like, even if you're directed to do something, you know, by a higher up, you still need to do the right thing. Because at the end of the day, not only is it, you know, the right thing to do, but the authorities will come and get you anyway. <laughs> exactly. Like working in a giant organization, well, you work for like one guy, so, but working in a giant bureaucracy, you can't see the big picture. You sort of have to do what your boss tells you to do. So if right. your boss says, look at these 10 miles and see if there's stuff in them, I do that. But it's also, 
really valuable to be able to encalculate yourself in the mindset that if I if this doesn't seem right, I need to stop and I need to find someone else. Yeah, exactly. Even though that's a very different mindset from just go to work and just do whatever they say and then yeah, go just home. Do whatever. Yeah, right? exactly. Well, and you got to think about it. A lot of a lot of the bad things that have happened in the world are because people are kind of just like, well, they just told me to do it, you know, like whatever. Yeah. You know, putting these people on these cattle cars. I don't know where they're going. <laughs> but it's not, not my problem. problem once they get there. Exactly. I'm just locking the doors. I don't push the button. Exactly. Right. So you, you want to be really. <laughs> you got to like follow the news a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you've got to keep your eyes open all the time. Um, so that that's interesting. So we've talked about a lot about a lot about quality control. I had something else I wanted to cover here. Do you know when the FDA was created? Um, gosh, I think back in like the 1850s. It's actually a really interesting story. So it was actually a supplement. It was like a supplement they were trying to make for kids. So they put in some grape flavor in it. And it turns out that the ingredients of the grape flavor were very dangerous for kids because they're smaller. They have a lot lower body mass. So like kids just started dying because they hadn't done any safety tests on this new formulation for this drug. So that's how the FDA sort of got the political impetus to get passed. And I don't think we could make something like the FDA today because when's the last time a really efficient government organization had been created? Like ICE was created in like 2010 and it still doesn't work. Right. Right. It doesn't have the government power or the overreach that would really need to really complete its stated goals. It's just sort of a boondoggle. Right. But the FDA will come for you and the U.S. Marshals will put you in jail if you send <laughs> bad products to people. Like they, they will actually, it still, still kind of works. Yeah, it Is still it? works. Even after all of these years, it still that, works. That's super interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it, it is it is bizarre this this interplay between executive, congressional power, and then like these unelected bureaucracies. Mm-hmm. Uh, because even if you look at the these riots that happened recently, and you know, riots, protests in Portland, and things like that, and you see these people, uh, what? So you saw these people in fatigues jump out of these rented vans to like snatch people up. Mm-hmm. You know, protesters that were like. You know, trying to destroy a federal courthouse and stuff like that. So here comes the federal troops, right? And they don't play around. Not like your mayor, you elect every year, like <laughs> exactly. Mm. So, so they came, but it was what the most interesting thing to me about that was that, um, you know, it, it's weird, right? Because these people they're wearing fatigues, mm-hmm. unmarked, and they're using like rented rented vans. Like, what's going on? And the thing I realized is. You know, there was no one else they could send. Because you know who those troops were? Troops, police officers? The National Guard? No. No. They were not the National Guard. They weren't any other. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm not exactly sure who normally would handle this. They were actually the Border Patrol's. Um, so the Border Patrol has prisons. Mm-hmm. And they have, uh, I don't know. Have you ever toured a, a jail or anything? No, yeah. Okay, so I, I in Boy Scouts, we toured a jail. It's quite impressive. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Scared you straight, apparently. Yeah, so. yep, scared you straight. Gotta credit so, that. Uh, so I, you know, we went to the jail and it was interesting because they talked about, well, okay, like this is how it's set up and stuff. And then they had like all this right gear and things like that. And they're like, well, this is our, our right gear. If things go south, if bad things happen. Oh, so they were using like prison guards because they had riot experience. Well, not quite. So mm-hmm. we'll get there. Um, so, but they said, but there's a special number we call and these folks based in Raleigh come. And they are the prison SWAT team. And these are like, these are the baddest people. And if they come, like, you have fucked up. Like, this is really not good. Like, you do not want these people to come. Mm -hmm. So that's what it was, is the Border Patrol's, like, SWAT team. And you start thinking about, okay, like, why, like, why the hell are they using the Border Patrol's SWAT team in these situations? And I think the answer is because the, uh, this is the only people the executive branch could actually get to do anything. Oh, they're the only ones that follow their orders from the president, not from like Congress. Right. Well, and I think mm-hmm. even more than that, I think uh, they're probably pretty red tribe compared to the other law enforcement mm-hmm. agencies. And so they would actually be willing to go and, and do it. Um, you know, there's tons of problems with this. Like, you know, they're using like unmarked vans and like really a poor way to do things like unmarked, you know, fatigues, like you mm-hmm. shouldn't be wearing fatigues. And then, you know, they're just snatching people off the street, like very kind of scary. You see the video, he's like, Oh my God, what is going on here? Well, I think it's very dangerous to try to arrest somebody in a riot about arresting people. Like that could end up with all the officers dead pretty quickly. If there's a hundred of them and 10 of you. Well, well that that's right. part of That's part of my point though, is that, um, 
it's the wrong way to do things because mm -hmm. like they're clearly super under-resourced, right? Because well, either you got to go in and you got to do it and you got to arrest everybody and there's like overwhelming force or you don't do it. I don't think, Oh, we're going to sneak in and get somebody. It's the government. Thing. Don't halfway it. Yeah. yeah. The halfway don't thing. Don't half-ass anything. Yeah. Not, yeah. It doesn't seem, doesn't really seem to work. But point being, um, I, I think people have this idea that, you know, you go and you elect your Congress people and, you know, they, they go and they actually control things and, and you're going to elect a president and he can actually control things. I think a lot of these processes are, it's really distributed. Mm -hmm. It's like kind of, a, it's super oligarchic. So each government agency, like the individual bureaucracies have a lot, have, that's where most of the power resides now. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not in the people we traditionally so we think we think like it, it, it makes sense to us that we go and like we collect these people and then cal cunningham goes and he like he decides what's going to happen mm -hmm. right to a certain extent um and i think he may do more especially like the um committees so like yeah. in the congressional committees but even then there's also a great movie um called the report have you seen this oh i have not it's great it's on mm -hmm. amazon prime it's got kylo ren as the is the movie star in it what's his name Oh, the one with the famine in the Balkans, or Kylo Ren. Oh yeah, um, a Adam Driver. That's Adam Driver. Yeah. He's got a, I can't remember. Yeah. So he's got a Adam Driver. In the there. guy with the weird face. Exactly. <laughs> oh God. I have to edit <laughs> yeah, that I'm gonna out. have to edit that out. So yeah. Sorry, Adam Driver, Sorry, if you're listening Driver. to this. We love you. Um, yeah. You have nice abs, so <laughs> it makes up good. for it. Exactly. Makes up. Oh yeah. God. I'm just digging that hole deeper. So, what was I saying? So anyway, the report. So mm -hmm. he's a staffer for Diane Feinstein. Mm -hmm. You know Diane Feinstein is. Yeah, senator of some sort. I assume. Yeah, super old uh, senator from California. She's like you know super old school Democrat, like gone a long time. In the news recently for hugging Lindsey Graham after the uh, Barrett hearings. Probably she has coronavirus now. But <laughs> Pro probably so. Neither but here nor there. That's for the course. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know. He's the staffer, and he gets out of the Harvard Kennedy School. And he, I, I can't remember exactly how it started, but he catches wind that, you know, uh, and, and she's on the defense committee or, or something like that, defense and homeland security. Can't quite remember. This is in the early 2000s. And he starts looking into the black sites. Mm -hmm. So he kind of, like, broke the black site story and, like, all this bad stuff happening. And he's like. Like Guantanamo Bay. Yeah, yeah. like Gitmo and, like, all this stuff they're doing. And, and he's like ends up on this crazy quest to figure out what actually happens. And it takes like years, mm -hmm. years and years and years. And, um, you know, Dianne Feinstein, you know, this very powerful Senator is trying to get like, and you know, she's like facing political pressure for looking into it. Um, and the CIA doesn't want to turn over these documents mm -hmm. and they finally like give Adam driver, you know, <laughs> this, this rock camera, the guy's name for the life of me, uh, this, um, we should have him on the podcast. Pretty oh yeah. Good idea. <laughs> Uh, not Adam Driver, but the actual Probably guy. he's in hiding right now because he's a whistleblower. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so he gets all these documents. He's going through this like thousands. I mean, he spends years going through these documents trying to figure things out. That's so, one way people will sort of mess with regulatory agents. They'll just give them a million documents yeah, all sort of pertaining to what they're doing. Exactly. So yeah. the point is like, exactly. So this is a great point. The CIA. So they're like, okay, yeah, sure. Whatever. We'll give you all the documents. Mm -hmm. So they just give them boatloads and boatloads and boatloads. And um, Gina Haspel was actually part of this too. Uh, the current CIA director. Um, so, and he's going through the documents. It takes years. And like everyone else that's working with him is just like, this is just like crazy. And he finally like creates this report. Um, but the CIA sees things are, are getting close and weird. And they actually send people and they break into the office and like try and find out what is, what's in his report. <laughs> yeah. And I mean like literally, so this is a secure like this government, is the, the Senate. Yeah. Like they have a secure room with all mm -hmm. these lock boxes and things like they only he can access mm -hmm. for the defense committee. Um, and they break into it to figure out what's going on. And you're sitting there and you're like, mm -hmm. oh, my God. Can't believe the CIA did this. Like, because yeah. like who's who's walking who? Like, mm -hmm. you know, who's because <laughs> it's really yeah, it's it's, the dog walking the Congress. Like, you don't know. It's it's much less clear, like who actually has the power here. Mm -hmm. Um and just just blows my mind. And there's all kinds of other weird things like, um, you know, side note, the CIA. So during these interrogations, waterboarding, and, you know, they use like these really like, they found these like wacky psychologists um, and that 
just came up with these methods for extracting information, mm-hmm. you know, like all these torture methods and like, it wasn't based in science at all. And it was really, and uh, I think the big, big takeaway was like the CIA wanted to signal that they're tough mm-hmm. on this. Like, you know, we're not going to let this happen again. You know what I mean? We are, we'll do anything. Mm-hmm. We're gonna so we're going to waterboard some so people. Waterboard some people. So they couldn't get physicians to yeah, monitor it. Cause you right? know, they've got, they took the oath. So you know who they got? Who? Uh, physician's assistants. I feel like physician's assistants, even if they're not actually <laughs> doing surgery, are still like, I'm not going to torture this dude. Like, yeah. I've met some people who are physician's assistants. They don't seem like the torturing type. I know. but <laughs> I got to say. But maybe uh, you must have paid them a lot or something. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. And they were paying these contractors. Like, probably if you have a person you think would probably torture people for you, you could just buy them a physician's assistant's license. Like it's like two years of schooling. Yeah, that's I true. I think probably that's what that's how fair. that went down. I don't know, uh, but it, long story short, like just all this crazy stuff happened, and you're like, hey, my, my point being though is like these these organizations, you know, they have a lot of power, and sometimes things can get like really weird and out of hand. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, if they don't um, have any oversight, if they don't have any oversight, and I don't tend to think, even if they have oversight, you know, uh, they have a lot of latitude to kind of do what they want. Because mm-hmm. most of it's secret, right? I guess most of it's top secret mm-hmm. and the only people that really know about it are like Diane Feinstein. Yeah. Things like that. You know, people like that. Um, just super bizarre to me. Yeah. It reminds me of the Cuban missile crisis. And so these, I guess the Cubans are in the nuclear missile sub and yeah. the broadcast goes out. Okay. So like, okay, there's been a nuclear attack. We have to launch the nuclear missiles. And one commander was able to stop them from launching the nuclear missiles. Like not like an elective official, just like one guy who happened to be there. And that's why we didn't have nuclear war. Oh wow! Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. You get things get really close, um, mm-hmm. and I, the world just goes along. Is what's really amazing to me. Like here we still are. Yeah, exactly. Like, cool. So, is uh anything else that the listeners should know about the FDA? Well, I'd like to talk okay. about sort of the downsides of my blog. Maybe I don't want to scare people off modern medicine. I went off modern medicine because of the things I talk about. Yeah. Like, Modern medicine isn't great, but it's the best we have, and it's way better than any, like, homeopathy, even if sometimes you end up with cockroaches next to your sterile eye injections, and then people go blind, you know? Oh, God. Did that really happen? That really happened. It was not a great time for the compounding industry or the FDA. Wait, what? How did did that happen? How did people end up going blind? So, basically, if you're a compounding pharmacy, you take like a bulk drug substance and that's just the active ingredient and you mix it with other things. Those are called the excipients and they're like everything else in a drug that holds it together and it makes it easier to mix. So if you have like a gel capsule, the gel capsule is an excipient and inside it is Advil, the active ingredient, which is acetaminophen in like a solution. So if you can't, if for instance, you're lactose intolerant, they can they can compound a drug for you that doesn't have lactose in it or gelatin if you're like gelatin intolerant. Okay. Yeah. So they have a lot looser regulations because they don't have to abide by good manufacturing processes. So because they're only making it for one person and it's super expensive to do good manufacturing. So they have a lot. So they don't get audited to the same standards by the FDA. So people started going blind from these eye injections and the FDA comes along and they find that all of these injections are coming from this pharmacy called Frank's Pharmacy. And they go and they audit the pharmacy and in the light bulb above the sterile area, they find dead cockroaches. And I'm like, that's not a good time for anyone. Right, exactly. <laughs> right, like. So, so it wasn't directly related to the cockroaches. They were just doing something wrong. Yeah, it was just the cockroaches were bringing in this bacteria and then the bacteria oh. was getting into the sterile. No way drugs right they were able to match to the species the bacteria in the drugs to the bacteria in the patient's eye which is like the most specific you can get by genetic typing for bacteria and it's pretty much a smoking gun for any lawsuit those patients want to go through with that's super amazing right it's crazy oh my god that's nuts (laughs) so so in other words like uh you know your blog, which is super awesome, and we'll put the link up here. It's really cool, um, super informative, and uh, and very witty and, and fun. And mm-hmm. you know, I, me Mondays every Monday. Exactly. If you're kind of like what is Tyler Cowan saying, info infovore like us, you'll mm-hmm. really enjoy reading about it. It's just like super cool. Um, this whole world you've never heard about. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. So I I think the takeaway I think you're trying to get across is that yes, like um, you know, there's all these crazy things that happen, mm-hmm. but 
you know, it somehow it ends up pretty well. Like I still would take a flu shot or a sterile injection, even knowing what I know. Right. Because one, I think the big point is like, we catch them here. Yeah. Like we actually, you know, it would be more scary if the cockroaches were there forever and nobody ever mentioned it. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's very interesting. Very interesting. So quality control in the FDA. I, I think we've learned quite a bit. Is there anything else that the lay person I think would not understand that you do that is important? So I don't take generics. Like nobody in my lab takes generics. My boss won't take generics. I will only take name brand um, medications. And I don't want to say that to people because they're so much cheaper and name brand medications that have copyrights on them are sort of a reason for the rising cost of healthcare. But I won't take them. Like I don't know who generic um, company number four is. I don't know their quality control practices. But I do know that the company I work for whatever company name has really great um, quality control practices and a really strong culture of quality, which prevents sort of a lot of what we're talking about. So I'm going to take that. I'm going to pay the money and I'm not going to take the generics. No way. So interesting. So, um, so name brand drugs by the big pharmaceutical companies are actually, you think it's actually worth shilling out, shilling out for them. I can't claim that even though I'm anonymous, but I do because generic companies they spent one year perfecting their manufacturing processes, maybe. These name brands that have developed it and then spent years and years and years perfecting their manufacturing processes and seeing where the problems happen and then fixing them, that's a lot more reassuring to me than the generic company who kicked up six months ago because the copyright ran out is now making this. That is super interesting. Right. It's not the safety, it's not the efficiency efficacy of the drug which has been proved through clinical trials it's how they're manufacturing it that it concerns me thing. yeah wow that's super amazing well yeah. on that note i think that's that's wow something I, to consider if, yeah, yeah and so well and that that is a sign if everyone in your lab does not take generic drugs yeah well then again we get paid real well so that's probably also <laughs> a fact exactly <laughs> like but if it's generic insulin or no insulin just take the insulin please, yeah absolutely but, but yeah gotcha but if you if you do have the extra mm-hmm. something to think about yeah awesome well, thanks. Like a tail risk for sure. A t- tail risk, but still something. It stares me in the face every day. I got it. Exactly. It does. Do- I'm sure it dominates thoughts if you, you know, yeah. look at it. Very, very cool. Well, thank you, Mr. Ed, for coming on. And uh, Thanks for having me. We'll have put the blog up and go check it out. It's What's the URL again? It's warningletters.wordpress.com. Man, we got to get you. We'll get you. We got to get me a dot .org. Yeah. Don't worry. We'll redirect. It'll be great. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks. Well, That's our show for today. I'm Will Jarvis. And I'm Will's dad. Join us next week for more narratives. 